Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. Uh, we're very thankful to be here together. We're thankful that uh, all of the test results came back negative. And uh, we're happy to be together today and to share in this fellowship. And uh, the song that Nathan, Brother Nathan led, I don't know if he did that intentionally or not, but it really, uh, in a very poetic way, illustrates our subject of the day. As we think about following Jesus and we think about taking steps that lead in the same direction that Jesus would walk. Um, and I, I've always liked this song and I'm not going to say anything about the song, anything bad about it. But I want you to think about in the first verse where he talks about that walking with Jesus is always full of joy. Is that true? Maybe not the way that we think about joy. Sometimes walking with Jesus is hard. Sometimes walking with Jesus means uh, that I experience some things that are painful. And that's what we want to focus on today is the statement that Brother Lonnie read for us from Matthew 16 where Jesus said, if any man, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We want to reread from Matthew 16, verses 21 through 24 to begin this morning. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. I want you to just try to put yourself in the mind of the disciples for a minute. And they have this idea about what Jesus' purpose is and what he's come to do. And that Jesus is going to be the king on the throne in Israel. And he's going to sit just like David did there in the middle of Jerusalem, the city of God, and reign over his people. And Jesus is telling them, listen, they're going to take me and they're going to torture me and they're going to kill me. How would you feel? I think we're hard on Peter sometimes. Uh, and I'm going to tell you what Peter says to Jesus here is of no ill intent at all. Peter is saying this because it's what his heart is feeling when he hears the words of Jesus that Jesus will be killed. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen for you. They didn't want him to die. They didn't want him to leave. But Jesus said this to Peter. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Ouch. That must have hurt. Why did Jesus say that to Peter? He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. What Jesus is telling Peter is this. Peter, I have to do this. I have to do it. And you telling me I don't have to do it is a stumbling block for me. You are an offense to me. You are tempting me to do something that I don't need to do. I need to go suffer. I need to go die because it's part of my purpose. And he said, not only that, if any man will come after me, 
he must also, just like I, take up my cross, he must take up his cross. He said, Peter, not only is it not far from me, it's not far from you. You'll take up your cross too if you're going to follow me. You know, that's the reality of following Jesus. It's not always about all of the blessings and the good things. Sometimes it's about the suffering and the pain. Because there are choices that we make in life that mean we have to take up a cross. What is the cross? What is the cross? Well, Jesus makes it very simple. He says, if a man will come after me, he must deny himself. That's what the cross is. The cross is sacrifice. The cross is uncomfortable. The cross is pain. The cross, if we want to really look at what the cross is, the cross is responsibility. It's what we must do in spite of the consequences. And that's what Jesus did. He knew every consequence of taking up his cross and carrying it. But he said, it's what I must do. And he said, it's also what you must do. And I want to notice something that Jesus said here about the cross. He didn't say, you must take up my cross. And he didn't say, you must take up the cross. He said, you must take up your cross. They had a different cross to bear than what Jesus bore. They couldn't bear the cross of Jesus. Jesus' cross that he bore was a cross that redeemed all mankind. They could not bear that cross. In fact, he told them that. But you know, each and every one of us have a different cross to bear. We have so many differences. You know, my temptations are not the same as your temptations. My abilities, they're not the same as your abilities. My weaknesses, as Brother Justin talked about last week, they're not the same as your weaknesses. My responsibilities are not your responsibilities. I have children and I am their father and that's my cross to bear. It's not your cross. My wife has a different cross to bear than, than I do as the mother of my children. We don't have the same body. You and I. My body may be sick and your body may be well. Or maybe your body's sick and mine's well. But I'll tell you, everybody's cross is different. And what we have to recognize is that Jesus accepted his cross. He understood what his cross was. And he accepted that it was his cross to bear. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And I'll tell you something else about the cross of Jesus. It wasn't a cross that was simply thrust on him. Jesus chose to bear his cross. And finally, Jesus endured his cross. And as Jesus tells us as his disciples, if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross, and you've got to follow me. These are the things that we have to do. We have to accept, we have to choose, we have to endure. Now, I want to say something uh, about acceptance. Acceptance can be a very crippling thing, a very difficult thing. I think that many times we, we have an expectation of what life should be like. 
we set our minds on how we want to live our life, and we, we have this goal sitting out there of the circumstances of our life. And we want everything to be comfortable. We don't want to experience any pain or any suffering. We want to have health and wellness. We don't, we don't want to live in sickness. We, we want to have fullness instead of dissatisfaction. And when things don't fill us, we're disappointed. We want things to be exciting. We don't want life to be boring. We want some excitement in our life. And maybe you don't like roller coasters. I, I don't know, but we all want some type of excitement. And when things get e extremely boring, we feel like, well, life's just not the way it should be. And we think that recreation is important because we don't want to live life in boredom. Well, let me ask you, how many of us actually live that kind of life? Where everything's always good, everything's always comfortable, you're always full, and I'm not talking about food, I put food up there, but, but I'm not talking about food, okay? I get that. Most of us are typically full of food. That's not a problem. It's the other things in life that we think we should always be full of. You know, we've got this illusion, though. I'll tell you what that illusion is. That illusion is we look at everybody else's life and we think that their life is this way. And it's not. And honestly, if their life is that way, we ought to be happy for them instead of looking at them and going, well, you know what, this isn't fair. Why do they get to bear this cross and I get to bear this cross? You know, one of Jesus' disciples asked him about that, and guess who it was? It was Peter. See, Jesus talked to Peter, and, and Jesus told Peter the same thing that, he, that we just read. He told Peter, he said, you know, right now you can go your way and you can dress yourself, but there's going to come a time in your life when you're not going to be able to do that. Somebody else is going to tell you where to go, and they're going to tell you how to dress and what to do. And he said, he said this signifying by what death Peter should die. And I guess Peter looked around and he thought, well, that's not fair. And here's what he said to Jesus. Peter, seeing him, that is John, who was leaning on Jesus' breast, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter looks at John and goes, okay, what's going to happen to John? And Jesus said, well, that's none of your business. What's that got to do with you? you got your cross to bear, Peter. You're supposed to follow me. You're not supposed to follow John. You don't worry about what cross John's bearing. You worry about the cross I've given you to bear. You need to accept your cross, Peter. You need to accept that your life is not going to be like other people's lives. And you're not always going to get what other people get. The Bible says in Job 14, verses 1 and 2, Man who is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. I have probably told you all this before, um, but I forget where I've told things, so just bear with me. Uh, my stepmother had a saying when we were growing up, and any time we would say that life wasn't fair, she would, or any time we would say something wasn't fair, she would look at us and say, life's not fair. And then you die. And I hated that. I thought, what a terrible thing to say to children. But you know what? Life's not fair. And then you die. And that's exactly what Job is saying. Life is full of trouble. And then just like a flower that fades away when the sun wilts it, you die. That's life.
And we don't want to look at life that way. We don't want to accept that life is that way, but that's the truth. Life is full of peaks and valleys, and a lot of times for a lot of people, the cross that they have to bear is full of more valleys than it is peaks. And for some people, life is suffering. And you say, well, that's not fair. You're right, but life's not fair. And then you die. You say, well, those are great words of comfort. (laughs) It's just reality. And we've got to accept that that may be our cross to bear. I'm not saying it's our destiny. I'm not saying that everything is set in place. I'm just saying sometimes life throws you a curveball. And rather than use the fact of denial and say, well, I'm not going to accept that this is... You need to accept it. Because otherwise we set these unreasonable expectations. And what we do is we put ourselves way up here. And then when life is down here, we have a massive fall of disappointment and unhappiness. Jesus chose the cross. And uh, you know there were things about the cross Jesus did not choose. He did did not choose uh, how many stripes he would take. Uh, he, di- he didn't choose the fact that it would be uh, at the hand of the Romans. God chose that for him. But what Jesus chose was knowing that that was his fate, that that was his purpose, he would take it up regardless. And you know, the truth is, most of the time, we don't know the consequences of taking up our cross. We might try to surmise about that and figure out some idea. Jesus knew every detail. Every detail. He knew what was going to happen, but he chose to pick it up anyway. Matthew 26 and 52, but Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. Guess who he's talking to? It's Peter again. (laughs) Because when they came to take Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword to defend his Lord. And Jesus said, Peter, put your sword up. Put your sword up. If you try to take the sword, you're going to die by the sword. He says, or do you not think that I can now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Now, here's what I want us to think about. Whether or not you choose to take up your cross is within your will. You may not choose the circumstances of it. You may not choose whether or not you get sick. or You may not choose whether or not someone in your life dies. You may not choose what uh, happens to your home if something decides to break down or it catches on fire or something else bad happens. You may not choose that, but what you can choose is to be responsible and do the right thing regardless of the circumstances. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, this is within my choice, Peter. I don't need you to defend me. This doesn't hinge upon whether or not you take those guys out. This hinges on whether or not I decide to pick this cross up and carry it. And he said, in fact, it's within my power to stop it. But Jesus didn't choose to stop the pain or the suffering. He chose to pick up the cross. And finally, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, I want to think about the fact that Jesus endured the cross and what kind of cross Jesus carried. 
Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your minds. I want to break some of this down. You know why we can sing the song that Nathan led and say, walking with Jesus is joy? Because the joy is not because of the circumstances of now. The joy is because where we're going. It's where we're headed. And that's exactly what got Jesus through the pain and through the suffering. There was purpose in the pain. And he was focused on the purpose, not the pain. The purpose was more important than the pain. And so Jesus endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. And it says he despised the shame. Now, that doesn't mean that he hated the shame. The word despise means to esteem something as of little value. See, Jesus knew the shame. He knew the shame that was coming. You know, typically shame is associated with bad choices. You know what the cross was? It was shame. Jesus didn't make bad choices. But I'll tell you what he did. He died the death of a criminal. He carried the cross like a criminal. He hung up on the cross like a criminal. And you know what people did? They mocked him and they cursed him. And it was shameful and it was humiliating for him. And that didn't stop him. It didn't stop him from doing what he needed to do. So he despised the shame. And the Bible then says, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what the joy that was set before Jesus was? Well, I'll tell you, that was part of it. That through enduring the cross and suffering, he would be glorified. But you know what the other joy was? You. You were the joy. He knew what the purpose was. You're the reason Jesus took up his cross. Your salvation is the reason that Jesus didn't stop when they stripped his clothes from his body and they began to shred his flesh with whips. He never called for the angels because of you and because of me. So I want to think about the cross that Jesus bore, the cross of suffering and struggle, the cross of shame and humiliation, the cross of injustice, the cross of hostility. So let's talk about suffering and struggle for a moment. Now, suffering is suffering because it's unpleasant. And there's no way to paint suffering to make it pleasurable. There's no way to paint suffering where it, where it feels good. You know, people don't enjoy suffering. And if they do, there's something wrong with them. And I don't say that to be funny. I mean that, I genuinely mean that. If someone enjoys suffering, there's something wrong with them. But suffering's a part of life. And honestly, even though suffering is never pleasurable, suffering can have a great value in our life and can be a great blessing in our life. James chapter 1 and verse 2, James here writing says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. That just means diverse or various temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith 
<coughs> worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So, I want us to first just get the verse, and then we're going to talk about it. But let's understand this picture that he paints. He said, number one, you need to count it all joy. Well, you said, well, you just said it wasn't pleasurable. No, it's not something that's experienced. It's something that's reckoned. Okay? This is a, uh, a logical way of looking at temptation. It's not a feeling-based thing. Okay? We don't feel joy when we're suffering, do we? He said, count it joy. Why? Because you understand there's purpose in the pain. There's purpose in the suffering. You can count it joy because you understand that what you're experiencing, the testing of your faith, is working strength within you, endurance, the ability to endure. Why? So you can be made perfect and entire wanting nothing. He said it's shaping you, it's molding you into someone you need to be. Now, here's a key phrase in this verse, though, that we overlooked, and that's this. Let patience have its perfect work. Let patience have its perfect work. You say, well, why is that a key phrase? I want us to think back to Peter for just a moment as he looks at Jesus and he says, look, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. In fact, I will, I will die for you to make sure this doesn't happen. And Jesus says, you're an offense to me. I have to do this. Well, you know what? Sometimes we've been Peter, haven't we? We've been Peter. And I want us to sit on that for a moment. I want to, I want to uh, and this may be a story that you've heard, an illustration you've heard before, but uh, I want to use it again because I think it's uh, very effective. Uh, there was a man who was out, uh, and he was photographing things out in the middle of the woods, and he was taking pictures of birds and nature and all kinds of things like that. And he, he stumbled across a, a cocoon that was hanging from a limb of a tree. And he could see movement inside that cocoon. And so he, he drew closer and uh, he saw this very small hole in the seam uh, of that cocoon. And he thought, oh man, this is fantastic. <laughs> There's a butterfly going to come out and, we're gonna, and I'm going to witness it. So he, he sits there and he begins to watch. And after hours of watching uh, and it not making the progress that he felt like it should have made, he walked over and he takes out his pocket knife and he cuts the little stem on the cocoon and he places it on a stump. And he very carefully and surgically takes this knife and he cuts the seam. And without harming the butterfly, he pulls it out and there it is. But it couldn't fly and its wings were all wrinkled up. Because he didn't understand something. See, there was a design that God put within the nature of that creature. And that design was this. The struggle that it took for it to transform, the struggle that it took for that caterpillar to turn into a butterfly, the pain and the struggle was necessary to spread those wings out and to draw the moisture out of the wings so that it could fly and become what God wanted it to be. The struggle was important. But what this man couldn't do was be... An observer. He couldn't stand it. How many times have we done that to the people we love? I'm not talking about when some circumstance hits somebody and we try to help them through a circumstance. I'm talking about when we make a bad choice 
And we suffer as a result of that bad choice. How many times do we want to take the suffering away? I'm going to tell you something. I hate to watch my kids suffer. I hate it. But when they deserve it, (laughs) they need to suffer a little bit. They need to suffer a little bit. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. And sometimes we're Peter and we go, far be it from you. Maybe they need to suffer. Maybe that's God's design. You know what the real kicker is, though? Sometimes we're our own Peter. We're our own Peter. And we look at this and we go, I don't have to do that. I don't have to bear the consequences of this. And we resist it. I'll give you some examples. Sometimes I've let my comfort and the thought of losing my comfort keep me from taking up my cross. Sometimes I've let my rights, my rights as an American, take away my responsibility from taking up my cross. I thought, I don't have to do this. I have the right to, well, I'm just being my Peter. Sometimes I let my sin, I let my sin keep me from taking up my cross. You know what? Sometimes I let other people sin keep me from taking up my cross. You don't believe that? Ask my wife. I'm just being honest. She watched me sit for three months in despair and depression because someone I'm close to was living in sin and I was that disappointed. I'll tell you what, that was on me, not on them. We do that. We let other people's bad decisions make us stop and freeze and not take up our cross. And I want to tell you, we got to be careful that we don't become Peter for ourselves and make every excuse within the world to not take up our cross. Because here's the reality of taking up the cross. It's not going to be fun. But it's going to help us grow. You know, there's a proverb... Very short proverb where he says, Take away the dross from the silver and the smith has material for a vessel. Uh, I watched a three-minute video the other day on how the silver goes from the mine into a piece of jewelry. Uh, I was shocked. (laughs) I mean, it's obviously very different from probably how they did it then. But it goes through this entire process of them going down and mining it and bringing it out in big chunks. And they throw it in some type of crusher. And it, and it separates us out, and they throw it in another crusher, and it separates us out. And then they run it through water, and it, it does this separation, and they dry it in a kiln. And, and it hadn't even gone to the smith yet. It goes through all this process, and then they finally take it. But where's it end up? That's, that's the point. Where's it end up? In the fire. Sometimes to get out the things that are useless, that's what the word dross means, what is useless, what doesn't need to be there. In order for us to be material that God can work with, material that's useful, material that contributes, sometimes you've got to go through the fire to be refined. You've got to experience the suffering and the pain. And you can't let the suffering and pain, you can't let it detract you from your purpose. 
2 Corinthians 12, which Brother Justin read for us last week, I want to revisit that and I want us to think about Paul as Paul is looking at his own suffering in his life. And I'll tell you, there's not another person that I believe we can look at in Scripture other than Jesus Christ who was more faithful to take up his cross than the Apostle Paul. If we were to define his life, we would define his life as a life of service and a life of suffering. And Paul evidently had something in his life in spite of all the other things he endured, there was something in his life that was really, really vexing him. And he said, God, take it away. But there's always hindsight, and that's what we're reading here, is Paul's hindsight. And he said, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Do you see those two bookends? to his talking about this messenger of Satan that came to buffet him. The book ends are this, lest I should be exalted above measure. That's the point. He said, there was something needful in my life, and because I needed it, this happened. But when it happened, he said, concerning this thing, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He's just like any of us. I mean, it's not like Paul enjoyed suffering. Now, was he willing to suffer? Yes, but he, he didn't enjoy it. He did the same thing we do. We, we beg for God to take it away. But it's interesting to look at God's answer to him as he said, My grace is sufficient for you. You know what he means by that? He means the blessings that I have already given you are enough. I'm not taking away the suffering. Not this one. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather glory or boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's what Christ is telling Paul. Paul, if I take this away, you could be consumed with pride. That's what Paul recognized. Lest I should be exalted above measure because of the revelations, the abundance of the revelations. See, Paul understood something. Paul understood that he was given some things that other people were not given. He was given privileges that other people were not given. And you know what a man often does when he's given a lot by God? He becomes very prideful and becomes an egomaniac. And what basically Christ is telling him here is, why would I take away the one thing that is keeping you from destroying yourself? And Paul said, well, okay, I got it. If this is what it takes to make me into the man that I need to be, then I will glory in the thorn. He went from begging for the removal of the thorn to glorying in the thorn. Not because the thorn was pleasurable. He knew he was still in for some suffering, but he understood something. This is what I need to be who God wants me to be. There's purpose in the pain. Secondly, I want to talk about shame and humiliation. And I'll tell you this, as I said before, this can be very crippling. Because uh, the, even the thought of shame, it causes us to be afraid. And as I said earlier, you know, shame is usually uh, associated with making bad choices. Well, I'll tell you, sometimes shame 
is just experienced because other people set standards for us. We feel like we need to meet those standards, and when we don't, they shame us. They shame us. And there's shame that's going to happen. If you take up your cross and you follow Jesus, I'll tell you, there's going to be some things you'll experience. You'll experience some embarrassment at times. You just will. Uh, there's times you're going to experience failure. And I'll tell you, when you fail, what are you? You're ashamed. I am. I'm ashamed to fail. Aren't you? Sometimes we're going to experience criticism from others. They're going to scrutinize us. They're going to talk bad about us. They're going to not like the way that we do things. And after that happens for a while, you know what you want to do? You want to look at that cross and walk right by it and not pick it up. Because after a while, a person just doesn't want to feel that shame anymore. They don't want to feel that embarrassment or the, or the criticism. And it's crippling. What about Jesus? Did he experience shame? I want you to think about who Jesus was. And I think one of the things that's hard for us is, is understanding who we are. Jesus had no trouble with that. He knew exactly who he was. Uh, and Jesus understood that in, being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was in every way equal with the Father. But he made himself of no reputation. He chose the shame. Isn't that interesting? He chose the shame. He made himself of no reputation, even though he deserved the reputation which he now has. Which is the perfect, holy, glorified Son of God. But when he was on the earth, he had a goal in mind. And he understood that the shame was just baggage. It was just baggage. It was a consequence to bearing the cross. And I'll tell you, it's a consequence to us bearing our cross. And rather than let it stop us from taking up the cross, we have to accept that shame and humiliation may come. And what's his admonition here? You need to have the same mind that Jesus did. That in spite of who you are, who you see yourself as, you need to take upon yourself the form of a servant. You know what the hardest thing, one of the hardest things for us to do is to submit. Isn't that hard to submit? I don't mean to a master. I don't mean to an employer, although that may be difficult for you. I don't know. I mean just to submit. For instance, we're having a discussion. And somewhere along the lines, I realize that I'm wrong. But I fight to the death. You know why? Because I don't want to submit to you that I was wrong. It's hard to submit. Ladies, I bet it's hard sometimes to submit to your husband when he's not acting right, isn't it? But you do it anyway. Why? Why do you do it? It's not because it feels good. It's because that's what Jesus did. Jesus submitted. He didn't just submit to the will of the Father. He submitted to the people who were murdering him. And he endured the shame. And I want us to think about the words of Jesus as we think about shame. As Jesus said, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you 
not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him, uh, turn the other to him also. Uh, I want you to know something. This is not about self-defense. It has nothing to do with self-defense. It's not about if somebody threatens your life, if they shoot you on one side, let them shoot you on the other. That's not what this is about. A slap is an insult. Now listen, a slap stings, but a slap doesn't injure you. Now I see these slap whores now. <laughs> but, but Jesus is talking about something that would be insulting. And what's the, what's the point? What's the application? Don't resist that person. What's he mean don't resist them? He means don't fight them. Why? Because it's just a slap. Now, what's your gut level reaction to someone slapping you on the face? I'll, I'll tell you what mine is. I'm guessing that I'm not the only one in here. That's our nature, isn't it? And Jesus said, don't do that. Now, here's the bigger question. Why is it my nature to do that? Because I don't want to look like a coward. And I feel like you violated me. And I'll tell you what that is. That's pride is what that is. And that's what Jesus is telling us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Deny yourself of the pride and the right that you think to exact revenge on a person who insults you. And just deal with the shame. Because I'll tell you, it's hard to walk away and not look like a coward. But it doesn't matter. That's part of taking up our cross. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. That's not the way we're wired, is it? If somebody wants to sue us, what do we do? We go get a good lawyer. <laughs> You're not going to take my tunic. In fact, I, my tunic's worth $60, but I will pay this guy ten grand to make sure you don't take my tunic. And Jesus said, it's a tunic. Give him your tunic. And oh, by the way, let him have your cloak also. Why? Because you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. This will lead into our last one. Jesus said, give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now listen, that was not something that was written, it was something that was said. The, the Old Testament did not say, hate your enemy. But that's the idea that they held in that day. And I think it's the idea that we often hold today in our society. That it's okay to hate your enemy. But Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies. How do you do that? Do you have any enemies? You probably do and don't even know it. <laughs> if you're thinking, no, I don't have any enemies, you probably do. But I'll tell you, the enemies we recognize, it's the people that do what Jesus says here. It's the people who curse us. It's the people who hate us. It's the people who take advantage of us and they use us. He said, those are your enemies. You know what you need to do? You don't need to curse them. You don't need to do that. 
faith. You don't need to hate them. And you don't need to try to take advantage of them because they take, took advantage of you. What you need to do is bless them, pray for them, do good for them. And I'll tell you what, that is not fair. That's not fair. But it's exactly what Jesus did when he was hanging on the cross. Because I'll tell you, they exhibited every one of those things. They took advantage of him, they cursed him, and they hated him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the hardest one. Because there's, there's a phrase that, that we probably use uh, to really think about this, and that's this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I deserve better. I've heard that. I've heard that sitting around people's deathbeds. They didn't deserve this. Maybe they didn't. First Peter 2 verse 19, For this is commendable it is because, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. If that language escapes you, what he's saying is, if when something bad happens to you and you did not deserve it, that's what he means, enduring grief, suffering wrongfully. You didn't deserve to suffer. He said in verse 20, For what credit is to you when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Sometimes we suffer as a result of our bad choices. And he said, you know what? There's no glory. And you're going, well, look how I endured the punishment that my parents gave me because of the bad choice I made. He said, there's no glory in that. You deserved it. But when you do good and you suffer... He said, that's commendable. That's commendable. Not the suffering, but the enduring the suffering. It's not about the suffering. It's about willing to take it up. Being willing to take it up. It's about being willing to endure the suffering and handling yourself right even though you don't deserve it. How did Jesus handle himself? For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. You know, this is a prophecy of old, but it hits a little bit harder when you understand what Jesus went through and still didn't have guile in his mouth. It says, who when he was reviled, did not revile again, or revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus could have cursed the people that day and could have done it righteously. He could have looked down on them and he could have said, Father, curse them. But he didn't. When Jesus was threatened, he didn't threaten them. And what's his point? He's saying, Be like Christ, deny yourself. Endure the suffering. Luke chapter 9 verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. As we begin to wind our thoughts down, I want you to think about this word that Jesus uses daily. 
This isn't a today on September 6th, I'm going to pick up my cross and then we never think about it again. This is something every day when you get out of bed, the first thing you look for is to pick up your cross and carry it. Because here's the thing, every day is going to have difficulties. Every day is going to have hardship. Every day you're going to be faced with some difficult decision where you have to make a choice. Am I going to behave myself in the right way? Am I going to take my responsibilities and handle them and do what I'm supposed to do and live my purpose? That's a daily thing and happens every single day. Taking up our cross every day. I want to think about Elijah as we close our sermon this morning. Uh, Elijah was regarded by Israel as the greatest prophet. He was a man of power. And, you know, that's the way they looked at it. This, this, is, this is a man uh, who did incredible things as a prophet of God. And probably one of the most incredible things he did was he challenged 450 prophets of Baal right there in the middle of the public eye. And they set up two altars and they put wood on this altar. And he said, okay, call to your gods and I'll call to my God and we'll see if God, if your gods will light your fire. And we'll see if my gods light my fire. And I'll tell you, these people behave themselves insanely. You know, and Elijah mocked them. He said, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you should yell louder because your gods are asleep. And they began to throw themselves on top of this altar and cut themselves. I mean, they're complete lunatics. And Elijah calls out for fire and fire comes down and it strikes it. And the people said, Jehovah is God. And they took those 450 prophets and they took them down by the river and he killed every one of them. And then you know what he did? He found out that Jezebel wanted him dead because of what he had done. And he went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. That's a juniper tree. He went and sat under a tree and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. I'll tell you, there's some days you don't want to carry that cross. You just don't want to do it. I don't know if you don't feel like it or whatever. But that day, he was done. He did some mighty things, and he stood up in courage, and he was a zealous man. But that day, sitting under that juniper tree, he said, this is enough. I'm done. And he said, God, just, just kill me. Just take my life. You ever been there where it's just enough? You're just ready to leave and done? Well, God didn't grant him his request. If you remember from Brother John's sermon a while back when he talked about Elijah, what happened was, was an angel was sent and they, and they brought him bread and, and, and water and he, he ate and he drank and he traveled this 40-day journey to this mountain and he gets there and he's waiting for some grand sign or miracle or wonder to happen and, and, and he sees these things and God's not in them. God doesn't communicate anything to him. And then God finally gives him a message. And you know what that message was? The Lord said, go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. 
Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshai, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. You know what he told Elisha? Uh, Elijah? I'm not done with you yet. Elijah wanted to die. He said, it's enough. God said, no, it's not enough. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to work. Because you're not done carrying your cross yet. Your purpose that I have for you is not over. And I'll tell you something. If you're still sucking air today, you're still alive. Your purpose is not done yet. I'll tell you, he's not here, so I don't mind talking about him for a moment. But, uh, and I'm sorry if I get emotional. My grandfather is 93 years old, and he is the strongest man that I ever met. I tell you, when we were young, and I'd go to work with him, I was probably a 12-year-old boy. I'd watch this man take a claw hammer and ram it down into a double-top plate of a wall that was about 16 foot long and lift it up by the hammer. I've done that with three other people. He was strong. And I tell you, he'd retired at age 82 from doing carpentry work, and his body was beaten and bruised, and he worked until the day he couldn't work anymore. And now he sits in a chair, and he hurts all day long. And I'm going to tell you, there's some days that are like Elijah's days. We had somebody come out the other day, a little home health person. She walks in the door. She tells him her name. First question you ask her. Where do you go to church? God's not done with him yet. He can't do what he used to do. He used to get up here and preach. He used to go out and see people and serve people and help people. He can't do that anymore, but I'll tell you what he understands. As long as he's breathing, he's got a purpose. And that purpose is to follow Jesus. What's your purpose? Friends, today... We offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. If you're hurting today, bring that suffering to Him. If you're not a member of the body of Christ, we also ask that you would come. Come have a seat. Let us help you as we stand and we sing.